the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson. Thanks for joining us this week. On the Healthcare Wrap, we talk about the new digital transformation of healthcare that's happening right here, right now, right in front of us. This is an exciting time to be involved with the digital transformation because the healthcare experience is finally becoming about consumers and innovation. If you want to be a part of it, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in this new movement and you'll be one of the ones leading meaningful change. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of this movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced and the backstage strategies to stay ahead of the curve in your marketing, operations, and technology. This is episode number 135. We're now in season four, which is all about digital innovation, where digital intersects other disciplines that have huge implications for marketing, but aren't necessarily considered MarTech. Things like telemedicine, voice, and AI. One resource we provide to help you become an agent of change is the Shift.Health Content Network. Folks, Shift.Health is an influential thought leadership platform. It currently includes 25 podcasts and video series, and I'm excited to announce new series on the way in production right now. These are the programs that are shaping the future healthcare experience. They include our video chat series called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop, the principal of Jennings, from his blog that provides tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. The first two seasons are available for free and available on demand at shift.health. Again, the series is called Marketing for Better Health. So here's what's going to go down today. We'll kick things off with the flavor of the week about the need for standardized skills in our industry. Then we've got Chris Gervais from Kairos in the house. He's going to share thoughts from the recent Atlas conference. In fact, one thing I really liked from Chris's interview was how he helped us reimagine the process of building a better digital experience for healthcare consumers. Let's do this. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. How do you know your team members are qualified for the job? How do you build and train teams with today's skills? How do you save the costs of hiring, firing, and reorganizing? The elephant in the room is one that many are reluctant to admit that they aren't fully confident in their ability to measure their team's abilities. So much time and money is lost building teams and leadership structures that just get torn down 12 months later. Yet successful leaders know which skills are needed in today's crazy market and how to assess those skills in their team members. The challenge starts with the very definition of our work. As we mention frequently on this program, digital marketing is a vast field of dozens of subspecialties needing both deep expert specialists and generalists. 
In 2010, my official title changed from web marketing manager to digital marketing manager because I convinced my boss that I was spending a lot of my time on things besides websites, namely developing iPhone and iPad apps. Today, I tell someone outside of our field that I work in digital marketing and they either start asking me how to rank number one in Google or they know someone who's a millionaire from running Facebook ads. The point is, the definition of digital marketing will continue to evolve. So how do we find a better way to assess and develop in-house talent? For one, we need standards. Think about it. Many professions have a set of standards that they can be held to that indicate they have not just the general skills and understanding for their field, but also specific competencies. The closest to that in digital marketing that I know of are related to digital advertising and organic search. Things like Google AdWords certifications, which are great, I do think, though, that as terms like experience design and digital transformation continue to take hold and gain traction, we need a better system to assess one's competency, as well as the role of those skills in a marketing strategy. And let's face it, things like CRMs and healthcare take a great deal of specialized skills that aren't apparent in a job interview. Having a set of industry standard skills that can be recognized through certifications, perhaps, can be a powerful catalyst for leaders to build the right teams. And one way or another, we have to figure out how to do that, because the future ability of our industry depends on it. And that's the flavor of the Week. All right. Hey, listeners, I'm here with Chris Gervais. He's the Chief Technology Officer and Chief Security Officer at Kairos. He's in the house with us this week, here to talk all things digital experience. And an experience for him recently is participating and and hosting and taking part in the Atlas Conference that was brought to us by Kairos. I want to welcome you, Chris. How are you doing? Awesome. I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me. I'm hoping you've had a time at least to decompress a little bit because I can only imagine the amount of effort that it took to put Alice together this year. It is a lot. Our team just did a phenomenal job, you know, translating it from a a small, intimate in-person event into a much bigger, you know, virtual event, which you you just really never know how it's going to go. But we were really, really pleased with the outcome and the marketing and the events team at, at Kairos really just you know, the execution was awesome. The innovation was awesome, the creativity, but, you know, really it's about the people who attend and we had, you know, just wonderful people who participated in the panels, uh, who gave presentations, who did some of the, you know, customer form breakout sessions. And so as much work goes into making Atlas a great place, it's all about making it a great place for all the attendees who come in and really share, you know, what they're doing and really making the community really special. Oh, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it went off well from your perspective, too. And, and uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about some insights there. But let's break the ice here a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious if there's anything that has gone right for you in 2020 so far. <laughs> yeah, 2020. Whew, what a year. A lot has gone right. You know, it's been so many difficulties in a number of different areas for, for so many folks. But at Kairos, you know, we made the call very early on and to move to a distributed company really, really quickly, um, in which we were able to do. So we went from having you know, 100 people in Boston and maybe like 30 people remote to having now 220 people completely distributed. And so one of the benefits of that, you know, honestly has been, I haven't had to travel as much (laughs) at all, which has been great. But, you know, I've got this, you know, my kids are home doing hybrid learning and I've actually got to see them more than I I ever would have. We got to take a walk in the middle of the day with our dog, which we just got a pandemic puppy and she's been great. But honestly, being able to weave some family time into my day that I never could before has been really special. And it's 
It's also made the time I'm working just that much more focused. And, you know, especially with the work we're doing at Kairos and helping to connect patients to providers and care options, you know, that's been an upside is being able to actually ironically sort of have a connection that I haven't had before and just get to be with my family in a way that I haven't. And then, you know, the other upside is that we at Kairos have been able to very fortunately grow through this time. And so I've got to meet some wonderful new people that I get the opportunity to work with every day who have made our company stronger, but also just brought their whole person into our company and made us just a much richer culture as well. So there's definitely good. There's definitely good coming out of this. And so, you know, I try and find the silver lining to everything. Oh, well, speaking of silver linings, okay, so the, the question I'm dying to ask, what breed of puppy is now a member of the Gervais house? So we got a Bernadoodle, which is a cross between a Bernese mountain dog and, you know, a poodle, which it's, she's been great. Her name is Sadie. We needed something kind of hypoallergenic-y, which she certainly is. And it's a nice combination of this loyalty and companionship of the, of the Bernese mountain dog and the intelligence and sort of just playfulness of the, of the poodle. So it's been, it's been a ton of fun. So listeners, this is the time. These are the types of things that, that I wish we were going on video, but we are strictly audio here. So we can't see Sadie right now, but we can imagine and uh, glad to know that Sadie is part of your life now. So the, fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, a couple of other things that, that really stood out to me from what you were just saying. I mean, this, this thought of, of the conference itself, I'm curious as we'll dive into a rap battle here in a second, because I really want to hear after partaking and, and participating in Atlas, what thoughts are coming to your mind now about how to accelerate the digital experience that's in healthcare now. But leading up to that, you, you mentioned a couple of things about the conference itself. And I'm, I'm curious in, in, in terms of where you think things could go. And I know no one knows for sure, but like, are there parts of having to do it virtually this year that that you might be thinking, hey, you know, maybe that is something we want to incorporate more in the future that, you know, knock on wood, we're able to do things in person a year from now. Uh, is there anything about the conference that you're like, hey, you know, that was actually, you know, that was a nice way to engage or that was something that we hope we can incorporate a little bit more moving forward? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I definitely think there are because I think a year from now when we're doing Atlas 2021, I fully believe that, it, you know, if it's safe, we can be in person. But I, you know, given who were, you know, who tends the conference from the health systems and, you know, what they're going to be, you know, dealing with, we are looking at how do we do a hybrid, right? Just like many of us have got kids who are in hybrid learning programs right now. I think we're really looking at, you know, how could we bring that model to Atlas and for the people who can come create a compelling experience for them to be there. But one thing we did this year that was different is, you know, Atlas, we really try and keep it to around like 200 people. So it's not a big conference. It's small, it's intimate. And, you know, it's a time, frankly, when people, they get to see each other at a conference, but it's a bit relaxed. Uh, it's not like a, you know, like a big, huge three, 4,000 person thing. And so, but what we did this year is we actually opened attendance up at the health systems to a broader array of people. So we had more people in different roles in the organization come to Atlas than we ever did before. So we want to figure out how to do that again, right? And so there may be a way for us to continue to include that audience who, you know, they might not get travel budget, right? They might not be able to go away for two days, but they could still participate in the panels, listen, interact with the attendees, and, and you know, more importantly, kind of share what they know and learn and be able to bring that back to their own organizations and, you know, to your meta point, kind of really figure out how to drive change. And I think that was something that we're going we're gonna to focus heavily on for next year is how to, how to pull that in and get that level of interactivity across a broader a broader set of attendees than, than we have in the past. So that was a great eye-opener. And 
uh, hopefully something that other folks can do in, in different types of conference settings as well. Oh, I hope so too. I do. I look forward to, to seeing where things are going because I do have a feeling it will be some kind of hybrid in the future. And I think that, that is, that's, that's progress that's benefits uh, for everybody. So uh, really cool to hear that. Tell you what, what we'll do here is let's go ahead and move on into our rap battle because I'm, I'm really curious of what, you know, what's on the top of your mind about the healthcare digital experience. Rap battle. The rap battle is where we challenge the status quo in healthcare. We simply say, look, it's been marketed and it's been engaged with digitally a certain way for so long. And for us to progress and actually provide the right digital experience for everyone involved, we've got to change things. We've got to learn and improve and understand new tools and understand what people are thinking. And so that brings us to the Atlas Conference again. And uh, Chris, I'm curious if we think about first and foremost, what the healthcare digital experience should be, what points on it should be points of delight rather than pain points. After hearing everybody involved in the conference, where are we with creating a digital experience for healthcare consumers right now? It's a great question. And so I think about this a few different ways based on honestly, some of the really great conversations I had at Atlas and and afterwards of one thing that's clear and it's been, it's been happening slowly and not just, you know, I think sometimes for this, this aspect of the change management in digital, right? Healthcare gets a bad rap because, you know, change is hard. Change sort of does take time, but then you have external forcing functions like the pandemic, which on a number of the panels that I was fortunate enough to moderate, you know, really got to hear how these leaders at health systems not just embrace the challenge of the pandemic in terms of, well, what could they get done, but how much it really changed the working and collaboration relationship they had with other key departments internally at the health systems that were necessary to get that change, you know, impacted at the level they could if they were saying, we just can't see patients, but we still need to care for patients. I think, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of hoping, again, the silver lining coming out of this time in the pandemic is an inversion of control. And it's an inversion of control in that compelling digital experience isn't going to be singular, right? We've heard a lot of focus on the digital front door. I think there's many front doors, right? And I think there's many different styles of engagement because there are many different ways that different types of patients both want and need to engage with their care. And so if one thing that I think is going to happen that's, you know, again, spurred by the pandemic and the way folks had to respond was obviously something like virtual care is going to now be elevated to not a bolt-on item that was sort of, you know, yeah, we got to do it. So we've got something now to really being not just a core technology delivery, but a core competency of the organization, right? And so that means that, you know, healthcare, which had to really build up its bedside manner for so long, now has to build up its website manner, right? And really understand how to better translate more services that could be delivered digitally for different reasons. But that doesn't mean there's going to be just one experience for doing it. But the trick is the experiences have to be connected. Doesn't mean they have to be seamless, because I think that's a lot of That's certainly, I think, going to take some time, but they have to be connected. They have to be logical. And we have to continue to focus on how to remove friction so that patients can understand not only how to choose them, the right option for them at any given time, but how to really engage with it in the most effective way for themselves, their care, and the provider. Give me so much to think about right now. (laughs) I think... (laughs) 
when we focus on even reducing friction, these are just phrases and words that I did not hear digital teams even talking about, you know, even a couple years ago. And so, you know, to hear that this, this is the thought process now, you know, as we've all, it's kind of like in my mind, it's, it's akin to everyone implementing their EHR system. Mm -hmm. The earliest ones, 10 to 12 years ago, the newer ones are more recently than that. But you can say, you know, we hit a tipping point uh, a number of years ago where the majority of providers did get to whatever level of meaningful use, you know, it was where they, they had they had the record system uh, implemented and they were trying to optimize and improve it and, and fix the ecosystem around it. But they had the, the record system there as, as kind of the hub of everything, of all the, the healthcare data going on. And in a similar way, it feels like we are at or near a tipping point uh, when it comes to our MarTech stack for healthcare mm. providers in terms of a majority, it seems like, are either have or have implemented or near implementing uh, the basics, a CMS, a CRM, mm-hmm. maybe a marketing automation platform, maybe other tools that are involved in that. And so now that we've got the hub here, we can start evolving the conversation to things like reducing friction. How do you make that easier? How do you make that connected? How do you make it consistent? And I'm thrilled to know that like, that's where the conversation is now. That's the type of thing we can talk about now. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, one of the panelists that I had the pleasure of of having on, you know, she, I'll protect her identity, but she said, you know, they figured out, you know, they did a little bit of retrospective on themselves a bit way into their response to, you know, COVID and how they were trying to deal with the patient inflow. We're like, you know, we spent a bunch of time having this really big, expensive, massive website. But what patients really needed was to find, you know, be able to search for care, match to the right option for them and book it. And that was the most important thing in in that time. And she's like, now we need to step back and see where are we really spending our calories? Is it having these big, beautiful websites that you look at the page, the page view counts, and they really taper off when you get outside of core activities, but they're there for, you know, those pages are there for a reason you know, is that really where we should be spending our calories versus how to connect these core activities that patients are going to need to engage with? And to your point, you know, really assessing what are the points of friction? Because sometimes the points of friction are we, the patient wants to look at the same information, but for whatever reason, it's siloed. And the answer they get in this channel is different from the answer they get in the channel over here, but it really should be the same data underneath and the same information. So can we unify that? you know, really asking, is the barrier to using a patient portal still really high? You know, do they need more, again, less friction in their process by better integrating with the consumer tools that they're using or their consumer identities versus creating yet another identity somewhere, another username and password, and another barrier to entry that just isn't in a a workflow. And so I'm kind of hoping, you know, we can look at the patient, you know, their workflows, their journeys, not just from, well, what are the things they have to get to, but what is the data and information that flows through them that must be consistent to provide that really crisp, efficient, and accurate experience for them to feel more in control of their own care. And for those who want it, be able to be able to drive, right? And be able to feel like they're, you know, they're not just you know, operating against somebody else's rules, but they've got, you know, the the playing field has been a bit leveled now, which I think if anything comes out of the digital experience, I hope it's patients can feel more of that empowerment. There's more investment for them to understand their options because this type of core information and data, like you point out on the EHR side, 
the clinical record, you know, your problems, meds, diagnoses, labs, all that. Let's do the same for all this other patient access information and then radiate it out through the different MarTech channels, but consistently. And I think that's, that's hopeful. I think we're starting to see more and more of that. We are certainly from our customers. That's great. I'm glad you're seeing that. Hey there, listeners. If you're all about listening to your website visitors to learn more about how to improve your website experience, then G Site is for you. G Site is a suite of digital improvement tools that capture the voice of the digital customer. Hi, I'm Rob Klein, co founder of G Site and founder and CEO of Klein and Partners, a market research and brand consulting firm dedicated to helping hospitals and health systems find their brand voice. I co-developed this service offering with the team at Greystone.net several years ago. G-Site helps you prioritize and focus your website improvement and enhancement efforts. It's a suite of solutions including a pop-up website experience survey tool, a user-friendly dashboard and reporting tool, a user behavior tracking tool, expert consulting services, and more. What if I told you that 8% of your visitors have a new negative opinion of your brand after visiting your website? Now multiply that number by the total number of annual visitors. Does that number scare you? If so, go to www.graystone.net forward slash G site to learn more about how we can help and sign up for an introductory overview. Hope to speak with you soon. You mentioned core activities, kind of places to focus, which are the, the most common activities that are needed really along the consumer experience here. What would you say any, some of those are? There's really not one solid definitive list somewhere, but there, yeah. are, there are those that, that for the most part, a lot of folks tend to agree on. I guess access would be one of those. So access to care itself. Uh, what what mm-hmm. other core activities would you consider? I mean, I, so I definitely, you know, to me, it comes down to things like it's access, it's education, depending on what I'm dealing with. How can I go get best educated? And then I think it's the transactions that you need to deal with. I, you know, whether it's again paying a bill, or refilling a med, or asking for a referral, and I think those, or scheduling an appointment, and I think those are, you know, really important buckets that you know you can see folks trying to tie together through different means, right? Whether it's we can key off the intent of the patient. You know, so if we see a patient searching for something, we can bring back providers that address that condition, the latest patient education on that condition, and a list of facilities and or places you could book an appointment, you know, all in one kind of user interface. You can do that stuff, but that doesn't mean you have to have the patient log in and do things, right? And so could you create, you know, seeing those dynamic experiences, again, come together around key activities give me access, help me get educated, you know, and maybe oriented and then help me transact. We can start just continuing to bundle those together in new ways and weave it into, you know, the interaction patterns that, you know, we all use every day. I think that's, hopefully we can start ooching forward, you know, more and more and more to that and, um, and start to then allow the patient to let our capabilities into their lives in an easier fashion than they have been able to before. Oh, I'm so with you. I I'm, Anything we can do, any steps we can take in that direction are helpful for everybody. The providers, you know, any provider I know doesn't want to make anything more complicated than they have to for themselves or for the patient. And so this is when we find the right sweet spot to reduce friction along the journey, then 
no one's complaining. Everyone's happy with it. And, and that's why it's Absolutely. so worthwhile. It's your point. Like, you know, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but I think the provider views is particularly important as this continued digitization happens, because if it's not done right, in a way, they could be perceived as them, you know, potentially losing even more control, right? And control is kind of a bad word, but maybe a, losing a voice that they had. And I think actually it's an opportunity to amplify their voice in different ways than they've had access to before. It's something, you know, from my Kairos, if I put my Kairos hat on, something we work on a lot is how to help the provider describe themselves so that now they're not just discoverable, but discoverable for the things where they really feel they can make a difference. And so I think, you know, with all of these patient journeys that we think about making more frictionless, you have to map the provider in just, you know, right alongside as a peer so that, you know, we can't rob Peter to pay Paul in terms of just making it more convenient, but then leading to more burnout for providers or yet another system they have to deal with or another data piece of non-integrated data that they have to worry about. So it's a challenge on both sides that I think is you can't just solve for one, in my opinion. I agree. I totally do. One, I, I think one thing that will agree with that is the data that came out of the report that Kairos recently published on consumer sentiment about access and engagement. And uh, I wonder if we want to dive into that here for a couple of moments here. So the, the report's titled the 2020 Patient Access Journey Report. And right in the beginning of it, it talks about reimagining the patient journey to accessing care. So any highlights from here or, or data points that, were, that stand out to you when we're talking about improving the digital experience? Sure. And, you know, our patient access journey report is something we do annually. We partner with an organization that helps us survey a thousand patients, you know, through a broad spectrum of ages, starting at 18 and going all the way up. So it gives us, and, and you know, all across the country. So it gives us a really nice diverse look at it. And, you know, I think there's, there's some things in there that when we think about this new or the growing, you know, digital transformation, digitization, you know, incorporation of tools, however you want to, you know, couch it, is that I think some of the trends that you expect continue to become, you know, go up and to the right around things like where patients are finding information, right? Their top three sources are, you know, internet searches. So, and we know that means Google, the health system website, and their insurance website. And what's interesting is obviously the search behavior between them is different, but we often see the searches are actually linked, right? So while they may use Google because it's got uh, the ability to do, give me you know something near me, when they're hitting the health system website, they're often going down to another level of specificity in what they're looking for. So as a right in Martech and health systems, you have to remember you got to deal with two search engines, right? You've got to deal with the big Google, but you got to deal with your own and how that's that's kind of functioning as well. So again, you know, seeing that 50, 57%, again, not shocking of consumers are, are going to Google as their first stop for finding information online is, is not surprising, you know, at all. And I think that will just continue to, to drive forward as more and more consistent information about healthcare options is syndicated into end user, you know, search engines, either it's Google or Siri or Alexa or whatever, you know, having that consistent information out there at that, you know, really the, the as fur to the edge as possible is, is important. So not surprising that's going up, but it's going up across every age group, you know, that we look at. And I think that's, that's really important because then when you look at, well, when they find a provider through that, what are the most important things? And the most important things for them continue to be, is this person are they taking my insurance, 
right? And in this day and age, you have a lot of people unsure about what their insurance situation is going to be and what their out-of-pocket might be. So that's super, super important, as well as, is this person really clinically relevant to me? And have I been able to engage in a way where I can understand what they do? Those are some really important parts of when we think about the ability to discover your care option, where we see consumers driving a lot, they're not just looking for, can you help me with a symptom, right? They're asking some very specific questions here. Like my intent is strong. I'm searching online. I, I really, you need to tell me if, if I'm going to have to pay out of pocket or my insurance is going to cover this. And when you give me results back for some options, how are you showing me that these are clinically relevant to my intent? And I think that's... um. That trend, as we've noticed over the past few years, it just continues to go up and it's so important. I love that thought, like factoring in the cl- that they're clinically relevant. That's an evolution too of this conversation of being mm-hmm. able to say that that's equally important or at least in the mix with whether you know they take your insurance and so forth. So very right. cool. And right, the third one that was just right, you know, right behind their clinical expertise was, can I see appointment availability? Right now more than ever, Consumers are looking for that transparency and into real schedules, you know, not just these sort of fake blocks of time that get put up because they're looking to transact, right? And so it also drove some other results that we saw act, you know, just demand for online scheduling just continue to increase across all the different generations that we we survey, right? And that we sort of bucket between, you know, millennial, Gen X, baby boomer, kind of whatever. The desire to engage digitally, to find and schedule just continues to go up, even though that there are some folks who are still want to do this by phone, right? There are still folks who are much more comfortable doing it by phone and we get it. But the gains sort of year over year that we're seeing around that uh, that appointment capability is there. So you put those things together. Do they take my insurance? Are they clinically relevant? And can I see when they're available and go book that? That's the sweet spot that we're seeing of where you can really empower and mobilize your patients to to be able to, to do this. So now the trick is for those providers or organizations that are uncomfortable with actually putting schedules online, how do we do the change management to get them comfortable with that it's safe, that it's good for the patients and you can control the flow to the providers in the way that you want as well. Perfect. Man, so it's encouraging out of everything. It it's just, it's encouraging to hear that this is, this is where we're at. And I'm curious what you think is the, you know, as we're looking right now into 2021 here very soon, what, what do you think is the biggest opportunity for innovation along the access journey? Great question. I mean, there's so many things I'd love to see happen. When we saw how our customers and other folks, you know, in the industry related, uh, or sorry, organized around trying to deal with how patients were making decisions to opt in or opt out of their own care, right, during this time where they they actually just didn't know if it was like safe. I think we're going to be dealing with that for the next couple of years, right? Patients unsure of whether it's safe, you know, they feel safe, I should say, not whether it is safe, but they feel safe to go, you know, out, travel to a big facility, wait, go see a provider. You know, it's kind of ironic going to, a, you know, some of our, our provider offices, which you want to be the paragon of, of safety. You know, folks just are still, I think, skittish, right? Even though we saw folks, I think, earlier in the year delaying care, a lot of that is catching up. So I think, you know, some areas around, again, if people are coming in, how can we tie it to the fact that they carry, you know, a smartphone with them and start the, you know, have the process be as contactless as possible, all the way from they're approaching their facility, they're in their car, let them safely check in, 
maybe fill out any form so that their, their car's the waiting room, right? So they can fill out any forms with their finger and their, their iPhone, get all set up, get a text message that says it's safe to come in now. We've, you know, we have a, a seat for you. Go in and see the provider. And then frankly, get them out of the office as quickly as possible and let them finish that transaction, which again, might've had to happen in person, now all digitally. So that's like, I think one area that we could start to stitch together more experiences from, I've scheduled an appointment, I've shown up, let me do my forms, let me have my visit and get everything I need from that visit, whether it's notes or prescriptions or whatever. And then anything I need to do to complete my visit for financial transaction or follow-up let me book that next appointment, maybe sitting in the car outside so I feel better, but through my phone, right? And so I think that's one way I'd love to start seeing some more closed loop innovation that we could do. Again, all around, we're going to meet the patient where they're at. They're not comfortable coming in. So you feel comfortable sitting in your car by yourself? Super awesome. Let's make that happen for you. And so that's just one one thing I think we'll start to see kind of more of next year and options and that hopefully we live with that. But this is a fundamental change in the way that we can do this now, which would be great. Gives us more right? More flexibility and freedom in our life as well, instead of the sort of, you never know when you walked into a doctor's office and sat down, how long you were going to be sitting there flipping through, you know, a four month old entertainment weekly and, you know, looking at your schedule going, I thought I was going to be in here 25 minutes ago. So I'm hoping that's one of the things that helps get patients back into seeing care and getting the care that they need. And then of course, there's the other innovation, which is for the organizations that had a positive embracing of more virtual care, well, what else could be delivered that way? And what else, What other coordinating care options could be delivered with that virtual care, right? Is there other types of uh, home health equipment, durable medical equipment, remote patient monitoring that can be delivered on uh, alongside of that? Data exchanged, you know, again, could you have a visit, you know, someone come visiting to take your labs, you know, all kinds of really interesting things that I, I kind of hope we can start to see that will shift the physical part of how healthcare is delivered into emerging with more digital approaches. Oh, you're getting me excited for what's possible here. I'm, I'm glad to, I like this, this line of thinking here. So Chris, as we just wind down for, I got just a couple more questions for you, kind of along those lines, kind of along like what's possible. What do you hope we're celebrating or talking about 12 months from now? I'm going to answer that. I'm actually going to want you to answer this too, because I'm hoping that a, we are celebrating that we have, solved some of the core, frankly, just like supply chain issues that have uh, plagued health systems in trying to deliver care in this time, whether it's high-end equipment or just PPE, that we can, that that's not an issue anymore, that the health systems have got what they need because if they've got what they need and they've got not, you know, hopefully through outside intervention to augment their own supply chains and all the wonderful activities that the supply chain folks at health systems have had to undergo and, and do to just secure uh, PPE so they can see patients, that that's not driving decisions anymore about, hey, we got to conserve PPE. So we're going to do more online visits because we just don't, we, we got to save the masks and the gloves and the face shields for something else that we've removed that, right? So I'm hoping we're celebrating that the health systems have got what they need to safely deliver care. And I hope that we're celebrating that there is this just continued embrace and investment and innovation around the scalability of physical and virtual continuing to intermix and that patients are feeling like this has been done for them, not to them. And it's good and it's positive and that we're changing not just where you go to get care, but how it's delivered in that way. And so that is about opening access. That's about maybe some things that you feel more comfortable talking about in the in your own home. 
for whatever reason with your provider over video, it's just easier for you to do that than when you're sitting in a Johnny on a table with, you know, really bad lighting, that that starts to maybe even actually open up some more of healthcare for people and reduces access. And then, you know, I'm not, digital doesn't solve all problems, but when you can do things like real-time language translation and open up care to people where English isn't their first language and they can't find a provider who speaks their language, like, wow, like maybe that's stuff we could really look back and embrace on because there was, there's enough people in, in the healthcare systems that we're dealing with who are, they're risk takers, they're willing to take these chances, they're willing to experiment, and they're willing to say, we're going to do this on behalf of the patient and let's at least, let's try, right? Let's remove these artificial barriers that were there. Let's go fast, let's try. And I think patients are going to be up for it. That's some of the stuff that I hope, I hope changes. Like you talk to a lot of people. What do you see? Like, what, what do you think there are some of these changes that we should be celebrating a year from now are? Well, first, I, I love this. I, I haven't been asked in return. So, <laughs> so 12 months from now, I hope that we can broadly say that the healthcare experience, that we have found a place for the healthcare experience to be what's best for the consumer and for the business. So that we have found a sweet spot that we have, that we can say, look, this experience is better for everybody. It's not mm. because there's the spectrum of everything that that if you just factor in what the business wants versus what the patient wants, those are two ends of the spectrum. I hope we can find this sweet spot in the middle. And I do think digital transformation is helping us find that and accelerating that journey. There's a statistic that I've I've lived by ever since I came across it probably a year and a half ago by Jeff Gorgi, who works at Profit. And the book he wrote was uh, Making the Healthcare Shift. And in that, he, he pegged this figure that was only 15% of healthcare organizations have made any progress with digital transformation. And, you know, he and his crack research team found, I believe it was, it was either five or six stages of digital transformation that every healthcare organization needs to go through. And only 15% had even made progress in one of those stages. And I'm telling you, you know, if, if we can all keep putting our heads together and make progress there, then I have a feeling we're going to find out how the experience can be better for patients and for the businesses. Because, we, I mean, we all know we can't be extreme one way or the other. We can't just do what's best for the patient and not take into consideration, like we've already talked about here today, what's best for the provider, because then it's just not going to happen. And you can't take into account the business side, not even the provider side, you know, not factor in anything else, because then the care experience would be like miserable for everybody, even worse. And so that's where I hope we can make some progress. That's great. That's really great. And I couldn't agree more with you. Last year at Atlas, we had the, we had the, the pleasure of Jeff joining us and talking about his book. And that was definitely galvanizing with that statistic. And to your point, that, and I hate to sound cliched, the rising tide has to lift all these boats, right? It just has to in order for it to be a complete system and a complete approach and one that is inclusive, because that's where you're going to get the most the, the boy, well, that's where you get the better outcomes, right? It's not going to just because we've indexed just on one part of it. So because of that, it's going to be more complex. But I think that's the challenge, right? That is our challenge of addressing this complexity, figuring out how to simplify it for patients and for providers, but still maintaining what is special about our healthcare system and how care is delivered and the human component of it. And hopefully, you know, it's the, the reason, at least I view, we have machines is to let us focus on the things that we're good at as humans, not the things that we're, we're bad at, right? So if we can the machines do some of the grunt work for us, we can spend more of our time on the things that, that only care providers can do to help their patients and let patients, you know, not worry so much about how to fit care into their own life, 
but maybe it can be a more natural, you know, more natural progression. So I, I love what you're saying. I think it's super important. Oh, I thank you for even letting me go that like macro macro, because sometimes it's, you know, I got to zoom out a little bit just to, just to then zoom back in and say, okay, how are we going to address, you know, this part of it or this part of it? So man, Chris, it's been so fun to, to talk with you here before I let you go here. Uh, I'm, I'm always curious with our guests, uh, who they follow in terms of like, where do you go to see what's going on in healthcare and in the world? So who do you follow, you know, and, and whether it's uh, social media or media sites or wherever, but like, where do you go to see what's going on in healthcare and in the world? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, so if you want to find me, you can certainly find me on Twitter. It is my personal account, um, but I do follow, you know, there's a lot of folks on Twitter that I really draw a lot of inspiration from and folks that I've met through customers at, uh, you know, at Kairos, but also just sort of out in the industry at large, who it's not so much just about what they're saying, but the things they're sharing and if you can really, you know, key off of that and get to some, you can get to some really good conversations and some good insights. So, you know, that's, you know, Twitter. And I, you know, again, I also just from my, my network on LinkedIn, you know, those are big places. And then I jump off into a lot of the industry portals and, and media opportunities kind of kind of from there. But, you know, I'm definitely sort of a social creature. And so I love being able to just kind of get the pulse either through, you know, the lists I have on Twitter or the hashtags that I follow about you know seeing when things are happening what the sort of gestalt of the of this community is and that's been really powerful for me oh very cool so that was actually the last thing i was going to ask you is, is twitter the best way to connect with you or is there another way for listeners who want to reach out to you yeah i mean you know look, look me up on linkedin I'm, I'm certainly there and try and be very active you can find me on certainly on twitter as well but you're gonna have to put up with a lot of stuff about music and uh you know cars and other things and uh if you want to see the puppy you gotta seek me out on instagram <laughs> perfect chris it's been a pleasure thanks so much for giving me a few minutes and i look forward to to everything else that's coming your way and uh, thanks for giving us uh, some time and a lot to think about yeah thank you jared the, the pleasure was all mine i really appreciate it Hey, thanks to Chris, and thank you for listening. I sure hope you got something out of this episode, and if you did, I hope you'll subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends. Don't forget to be a part of this movement and this new digital transformation. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way healthcare is experienced. So on behalf of Chris and myself, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap. <laughs>